Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Cult Standard, your movie podcast for all the film cults fit to follow. My name is James. And I'm Mike. And joining us today is a very special guest, Michaela. She's the education manager at the Pickford Film Center. That's Bellingham's only independent cinema. And she is also the director of the Third Eye Cinema series, which we are starting to join in on in a very tertiary capacity, uh, interviewing people who have these great movies that they want to show the world. And today we're interviewing Michaela. So Michaela, go ahead and introduce yourself. Hello, happy to be here. I love the instinct to wave, by the way. We're on Zoom. (laughs) We are on Zoom. It won't be... Yeah, none of the video will be will be saved or posted, but I kind of realized that it, we realized after doing this for years that it actually kind of apparently helps to be able to see everyone's face and more closely mimic a you know yeah we, we've been actual we've been, interaction we've been recording digitally for as Mike said for years not on this podcast we only just started this one but we had a different movie podcast that was just like generic stuff. And uh, yeah, we Mike moved away probably before we even really got into the swing of things, and I'd figured out how to record the podcast digitally, so we did, and we've gotten a lot better now. But yeah, I'm like, why didn't we only just discover <laughs> video? Because <laughs> it makes things a lot better. I don't know. Uh, anyways, Michaela, thank you so much for joining us. As I mentioned, yeah, Michaela is the director of the uh, Third Eye Cinema series that we've been following and are eager to continue to follow. Uh, so, Michaela, tell us about the Third Eye Cinema series, Pickford, your role in general terms, and we'll go ahead and ask you more specific questions. Sure. Um, I think Lindsay talked about it a little bit in the last episode, but um, Third Eye came about from several different sources, um, both volunteers and projectionists. Um, during the time of its inception, I was just a projectionist, and me and my friend were talking, and we were like, it seems silly that the Pickford doesn't have any sort of late night cult film series. Um, So we banded together and brought a proposal uh, to the board. And then it became this like totally cool, both volunteer and staff curated festival. And it gave everyone a chance um, who's involved with the Pickford and who who likes the Pickford a chance to program a film that they liked. Um, So, yeah, it started off um, pretty humbly. We, I think we were opening like the new Suspiria. So we were like, ooh, we'll try this out with the old Suspiria and we'll show it at the limelight at like 10 p.m. And we did, and it was pretty well attended. And then we did, I think we did like Eraserhead and that one sold out and we did Pink Flamingos and that was a ton of fun. Um, and then it's just kind of taken off from there and it's been a joy to um, facilitate, which is basically my role is I just kind of herd the cats and and get everyone in there and try to form like a coherent series um, and, and get everyone's everyone's picks on the screen. So, so tell me about the, the nuts and bolts of that. So the, you know, it's, it's a new month of the Third Eye Cinema. You have nothing on the slate. What's, <laughs> when does uh, Michaela step in? Yeah, uh, so for most of our series, we like to plan them out sort of in chunks at a time, a season at a time. So for Third Eye, we do about like seven to, to nine films per, per series. And um, how that works is I just get 
those seven programmers together and I get a list of all of their picks, all of what they might want to show for Third Eye. And then I work with Michael Falter, our program director on seeing if we can get rights, how much the rights to those films are um, and try and get them um, on the screen. And then, yeah, I try and pick like last season, I sort of went, I tried to get a mix of different um, different genres and different time periods. We had kind of like a, a woman-centric theme going on for a little bit. Um, and um, once we have the series fully developed, we go into marketing and we get trailers made and posters made. And, and then we, we just go, just run it. It's fantastic. Uh, what was the reaction of the board when you first brought up the idea of this series? Um, I think it was pretty positive. I think they were really excited about um, the people aspect of it, since each film has a specific programmer tied to it. Um, those programmers kind of draw in their own communities, you know, so like, I got to program mm -hmm. Harold and Maude. And then I had like, not only my group of friends come, but like, I could advertise it to the people I knew on Facebook and, and people came who, who had a history with Harold and Maude, who, who had like Harold and Maude tattoos, which was really wow. cool <laughs> to watch it with just my friends who had never seen it before. Um, so yeah, I think, I think the people aspect was, was something we were all really excited about. Yeah. Do, do you find that, which kind of, um, group do you find is more common sort of people who are kind of coming in predisposed to these movies and already being kind of big fans or um, people kind of making a new discovery and potentially finding a new cult favorite I think it's about half and half usually the programmer so the programmer gets to to introduce the film and usually they'll ask like how many people have seen this movie and I think it'll range from about a third to half of the audience will will say they've seen it before but we always get people who have never seen it before and people who are like I've never seen this before but I wanted to wait until it was in theaters again so that I could see it on the big screen um and it's oh, such yeah. a cool, such a cool opportunity and the best way to watch movies is in my opinion with an audience on the big screen mm -hmm. um so hopefully we can have that again soon yeah we're still yeah. in a, a bit of a problem and we did ask uh did ask Lindsay a bit about this but you know your plans for are, are your plans for third eye cinema going forward are they still you know exclusively like digital um and you know tell us about more opportunity maybe we'll have a, a more notice than a day's notice or four <laughs> hours notice this time of your next uh screening so yeah um so Lindsay probably talked about uh purple rain um the netflix party we we organized last week um we do have more plans to do some more digital like netflix party style third eye screenings i thought those were really fun um i before this at all kind of went down i was in the middle of programming the next season um so it was kind of a bummer for that to be cut short so fast because it was going to be an exciting season but I'm I'm excited to try and work um, with our staff and organize more Netflix parties I'm a big fan of those kinds of things I wish there was a way we could find an accessible platform to show more than just Netflix movies together and get get everybody on board um, but yeah uh, we certainly have more in the hopper and once once we know what those movies are we'll let you guys know Fantastic. Speaking of fantastic. <laughs> oh gosh. Oh, oh no. you're gonna you're gonna bring up Fantastic Planet. 
No, no. Um, okay. Mike, Mike's been really excited. That's probably going to be the next one we do for you guys. So. I am stoked. And then James found out kind of uh, a little bit after the fact that it is an animated French film. And he's like, of course, Mike's excited for this. <laughs> That's like right up Mike's alley. Are you kidding me? <laughs> uh, Never yeah. said I didn't have a type. No, no, it's, <laughs> it's fine. Um, well, so the this might be a little inside baseball and maybe it's not the most exciting topic of conversation, but maybe it is. I don't know. I'm fascinated by it. Um, finding, getting the, the rights to this film. Like for me, if someone told me right now, Hey, can you get the rights to screen this movie? I'd be like, what, what do you mean? <laughs> uh, do I call, uh, you know, if I want to get the rights to fantastic planet, am I calling, you know, fantastic planet? Uh, <laughs> LLC. LLC. Yeah, exactly. Like what's my, What's my what's my game plan there? Maybe help me out. <laughs> sure. Um, well, uh, since I did that, um, it's mostly I feel like I want to say it's like 98 percent of who, you know. Um, so thankfully, Michael Falter has been in this industry for a long time and he has a lot of context. So and for, me for finding context, right, Michael Falter is is the, the program director of Pickford Film Center. Mm -hmm. um, so he knew a guy at Criterion who has the distribution rights for Fantastic Planet. Um, so he hooked oh. me up with him and then we just sent emails back and forth um, about how the, the logistics of the screening and then bada bing bada boom. <laughs> so I mean in, in general is it always like okay we someone you know the programmer for one of these programmers wants to do this movie do you just are you looking at Facebook mutual friends at that point like what's <laughs> how do you how do you go about it? <laughs> If you don't know people, you would go to the, the distributor. So um, right. most films, you can find the distributor on IMDb. Sometimes distributors get like passed around. Like sometimes a film goes through a lot of distributors through its lifetime. Sometimes it doesn't have one, which is a bummer. Um, but uh, so for example, I feel like one of the biggest distributors out there right now is A24. Um, we love them. So yeah, you, you would pull up your business card from your A24 buddies and you would email them and you would say, hey, I want to book this film for this amount of time with with this amount of um, percentage revenue shared between us. And then, um, yeah, that's how it usually works. There are other avenues to book film rights. There are organizations like Park Circus where you can book films through them. And it's more of like a... Um, not a bureaucratic, but you know, you fill out a few forms and then sign a few invoices and there you go. And exciting. Have you found that the, have you found that getting the rights to screen these like older cult films is, is any harder or easier than, than just, yeah. Oh, I want to screen the new a 24 film. <laughs> yeah. And it's a testament to our staff. Cause some of them have really like deep cut, sort of taste and and I don't even know where to begin with some of these films and you end up emailing like just a single dude who's like oh yeah I have the rights to this film <laughs> you fall down a rabbit hole of like really trying to dig up who will let you screen this film um so sometimes it's tricky and sometimes you hit dead ends um which is why I ask everyone to list like you know four or five of their choices so we can figure out what's even possible that we can screen do, Do any experiences stick out in particular of being like especially hard to get a hold of somebody or to kind of figure out who you need to talk to? Yeah, um, Winnie, our, our art studio manager, wanted us to show this film that I think is called The Secret Life of Plants um, that I had never heard of. Um, and 
and I don't even know where to start. And I remember emailing Michael and he was like, I don't know where to start. Um, and that was before <laughs> the shutdown. So I was like ready to dig into the mystery of that. Um, but it never, yeah, it, I, if anyone knows anything about the secret of plants and who might have the distribution rights to that, I would love to know. Oh, amazing. Is it, is that a documentary film? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Okay. I only just, fa- I, I, I'd never heard of it before. So I just tried to pull it up really quickly and I can only find a, an entry on a documentary films database. <laughs> they get pretty obscure. It's, it's amazing the taste that people have. Yeah. I'm trying yeah. to think of the times that I've tried to like go back and watch like a weird movie. I don't know. Something like Festin comes to mind, Mike. Do you remember when we did that one? For our old podcast. Oh, I do. Yeah, yeah. The um, uh, Vinterberg film. Yeah, the where, first uh, film in the Dogma 95 uh, movement, short-lived movement. Do, um, I, th- I think it only exists in like VHS quality, I think essentially. you can find a DVD, but like not really. You can't, you can't really find okay. it. It exists, but you can't find it. I don't even know how we watch it. I think for a time it was on digital and now it's not anywhere. And then we just had a really hard time finding um, Step Monster. Which, I mean, I think that's like a Disney one, so that would be a lot easier to find, I think, or something like that. Easier to find out who to call, maybe not necessarily easier to to screen. But we're like, oh, we have to watch this on daily motion, because that's our only (laughs) option. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, what have been some of the like some of your personal highlights with the third eye cinema series like what do you think about what what makes you want to like keep doing this you know oh my gosh um well i mean i know i keep coming back to this but just being able to watch a film in a crowded theater like seeing a racer head for the first time at 10 p.m in a completely sold out show at the limelight was just such a very specific experience <laughs> i was like whoa i am leaving my i'm box. so i'm jealous of that actually yeah that, that's like so i've yeah i only watched it at home with like i mean with like the nice criterion blu-ray but the, like the it was bright outside and just like not the same atmosphere at all um but also also watching harold and mod which was my pick was a big one especially because i i got to introduce it and and like i said there were people there who who had a huge history with the movie some people were like oh i lived in that area of town and i've been to that church and it was just um so i don't know heartwarming to meet those people and to just react to the different parts of the movie with an audience is is one of my favorite things were there was there ever any um or I guess, how uh, how did you all go about kind of taking this, you know, collection of films, this eclectic collection of movies that don't really have a particular, like, demographic or specific target audience, and and uh, kind of project project it outward to kind of invite everyone to come and see them? Was there was there any particular way you um, that the Pickford went about approaching that? Yeah, so Third Eye Cinema has had a couple um, like business sponsors, business partners through the years. Our first sponsor was Film is Truth. Um, So I used to work at Film is Truth and I think there was a little bit of overlap between me working at Film is Truth, me working at the Pickford and Third Eye Cinema being born. Um, So I saw people come into Film is Truth all the time that were 
this young group of folks who had this really eclectic taste in film. And I was like, dang, it would be really cool if we could get all these cool people in Bellingham who are involved with film with truth and involved with the big group and like these films together in a room. Um, so at first it was kind of pooling those audiences and reaching out like separately from the film is truth side and from the Pickford side. Um, and lately it's been working with Modsock who has a completely different audience. Um, oh, wow. but of, you know, of, of funky loving sock loving people in Bellingham <laughs> who also enjoy maybe taking risks and, and seeing what weird movie that the limelight has in store at Saturday night, you know? Um, so it's, it's just been sort of reaching out to an audience in Bellingham that we know, we know likes film. We know would like something a little bit like stranger or alternative to what's going, going on even at the Pickford, which is already showing alternative stuff. Um, and just, and just getting them together and, and, and watching films together. I think the funky loving sock people is like that can describe Bellingham uh, pretty yeah. well. Yeah. yeah. But, but, but also, I mean, and that's honestly one of the things I miss the most. Um, I moved to Bellingham, but my heart's still there. Uh, is like, it is a, like an amazingly cinephilic town. Mm-hmm. I, I was, and it, it, as a, you know, as someone, you know, who, kind of came in loving movies it felt that kind of helped make it even feel a little bit more like home so well and on that topic Michaela um tell us a little bit of your background with movies like when you have you always been a cinephile you know did you get into it when you started at the Pickford and then sort of then tell us a little bit about how that uh how that goes into your cult cinema um, yeah, I guess, oof, oh, big question. Um, I feel like movies are a huge part of my identity um, and they sort of always have been as long as I can remember. Starting off with the pretty obvious, like I loved, you know, Disney growing up and then sort of as I got into high school was exploring more. I think in sixth grade, I sort of came upon this like Fox searchlight section of films like like the first level yeah. of indie films, you know, like Garden State and Little Miss Sunshine. And I was like, oh shit, this is crazy. <laughs> the festival um, darlings, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. The Sundance darlings. Um, and then in college, I, I studied film. I took more film classes. I think the most influential film class I ever took was the essay film. So that's where I learned more about like Chris Marker and Agnes Varda and like that sort of yes. later film. Yeah. And then, and then, so I always knew I wanted to do something in film. And I took journalism because I wanted to write about film in some way. And then through that, I got a marketing internship at Pickford um, and then eventually got hired. And then two years ago, I got to go to Sundance for work. And then I got to go to Sundance again this year. So it's kind of like it all came sort of full circle with the Sundance films in my youth. And then now sort of getting to actually live this like teenage dream that I had. I'm so jealous. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you were given this opportunity to, uh, to, sorry, I don't want to frame that as this was enough. Uh, this wasn't an opportunity that you earned. I'm sure it was. And I, I apologize <laughs> if that was, if that was an interpretation you took, but anyway, so this opportunity <laughs> came about to, um, to be, be the director of the third eye cinema series where you're like, what cult movies or, or were you like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was like, yeah, yeah. I had started it with, um, we were originally, it was me and Cole Wilder, another projectionist, and he had moved away. And then it had, I had sort of been, you know, 
promoted once or twice at the Pickford and this was a thing that they were like, hey, do you just want to have ownership of this thing? And I was like, uh, hell yeah. Um, so I've sort of taken a step back as like a curator or a programmer of the series and just sort of given everyone else a chance to hear what they would like to program because I know that's what makes people excited about it. And that's, that's what makes people feel like they have more of a stake in the organization too is when they're, they're making a difference or they're programming their own tastes um, and bringing in an audience from something that they chose. Um, so that's, I, I feel like that's a really fulfilling, that's been a really fulfilling role for me is just facilitating this festival or this series. And, and you were, um, you know, we, we've talked, we talked about this a little bit on the last episode. We talked about this on our, our first episode, um, because we, we cover on this podcast, you know, cult movies, but we don't stick to a strict definition of cult movies. We just look for a movie that has a cult following. That's sort of our, our base definition for it. How, how has that process been like for you personally of, you know, what you considered a cult film before versus maybe what you consider it one now. Um, you've you've had a lot of different types of movies on the Third Eye Cinema series so thus far. Yeah, and, you know, everyone has a different definition of what a cult movie is. And ultimately, to me, a cult movie is just a, a movie that you get together with an audience and watch and you experience together. Um, and, and maybe a movie that didn't have, didn't find that audience originally. Um, so it's been interesting to see not only the movies that are sort of in this cult canon, like, um, like Eraserhead sort of come a part of the series, but also like, uh, one of our, uh, former employees, her pick was, was Hot Rod. And I remember thinking, huh, okay, cool. We can, we can work with that. And it totally did work because we showed it. It was a full house. People were laughing. I had totally dismissed Hot Rod when it came out. I don't think I even saw it, but seeing it for the first time with an audience, both of mix of people who apparently rapidly love this movie and also people who had never seen seen it before kind of broadened my horizons of like oh a cult movie doesn't have to be like a John Carpenter movie that came out in the 80s or like or a John Waters movie um to have an audience and to have that audience react um to this movie I've heard it, it, it I've been hearing it increasingly that the sentiment that Hot Rod is a great comedy that came out like 10 years too early <laughs> like something yeah. about it just didn't jive with the comedic sensibilities that were in vogue when it came out and that now it, it plays a lot better. So I'm very, I'm, I'm so happy to hear that you guys did. I'm, I'm one of those like predisposed fans who, <laughs> of Hot Rod. So I'm very happy. Yeah. I'm really fascinated by these movies that, that came out too early or like that, that didn't develop an audience until now. And I like thinking outside the box of what could be a cult movie. Like I was just reading today about how a goofy movie is kind of a cult movie because now it has yes. a case. And I love that. I love thinking of just like new movies that we hadn't thought about in a while and like giving them new context and new life. Actually, on that note, is there any area um, in the huge scope of film history and cult movie history where you kind of want to branch out and explore even more in the future with third eye that uh that maybe there's there's uh just more room to grow into yeah um so i'm always 
kind of pushing for, and this is this is rarely in the cult movie conversation, but I'm always sort of pushing for romantic comedies, or if not romantic comedies, just something female-led. Um, that's kind of my wheelhouse. Um, before before COVID, I was pushing really strongly for a Nora Ephron series, which would have been separate from the cult movie series. But but just that's why my pick was Harold and Maude was because I I had the month of February and I was thinking about okay, what are February cultish movies that we could throw in there and I remember Heather's being on the list and and um thinking about thinking about like how cult movies don't have to be as they sort of all often are in the mainstream canon like boy movies or or sort of male centric or or aim targeted at males um so thinking more about feminist cult or romantic comedy cult um that that would be what I'm most interested in we've we've uh we've kicked around the idea of doing like a uh like a like a cult buster type of uh thing uh type of segment where we, we sort of like flip it on on its head we're like this is a movie that has a cult following but shouldn't and i think we'd mentioned the, some of those comedies like like porkies or something that we're like eh. you know don't that we're not really uh I don't really play well <laughs> yeah exactly um but i don't know yeah. we're the, we, yeah, we so have Oh, go ahead. <laughs> oh, I was just saying that we we have right now. I've been having way more fun um, propping films up than tearing them down. I guess, but so yeah, yeah. It's always um, uh, it's always better to be positive, but definitely there are like there's an older guard of folks who who have a definition of cult movies, and you'll go and watch them, and you'll be like, ooh, uh, this does not hold up. Yeah. Well, I mean, in that, I do go on, Mike. Oh, oh, well, I was going to say, though, I, I'm glad, though, that you're kind of um, standing up for, like, romantic comedies uh, in particular as a genre. I just saw a tweet a couple days ago uh, asking the question, which film actors do you think would be really big right now if romantic comedies were really still alive, or at least alive in the way that they were alive in, like, for, I mean, for most of movie history and, like, even up until, like, the mid-2000s. And that was the first time it had really occurred to me that like, uh, yeah, romantic comedies, the way they've traditionally existed, have kind of stopped being made, <laughs> at least in like any kind of substantive way. Um, it, it's it's hard for me because I see these, it's hard for me to, to see this like genre that I used to just like love, um, kind of getting the, like the B horror movie treatment, I guess, where it's mm-hmm. like they kind of, they're, become very formulaic this, this is like early 2000s horror i think is where we are with ro- romantic comedy where they're they're formulaic they're they're cheaply made they're made quickly without with kind of like a cynical approach where it's like we just want to get this movie out there and and you know make a quick buck and then pull it out as, as quickly as possible or they, or they go straight to netflix yeah <laughs> right and and then you remove that element of audience interaction and participation that you were talking about before that can yeah. actually be really central to experiencing a movie like that yeah i mean and and of course there are there's lots of exceptions for the romantic comedy rule um the big sick came out a few years ago i really love that one um crazy rich asians um uh, always be my maybe that was one of those netflix ones um that i really liked uh but yeah i mean by and large it's like you know isn't it romantic comes to mind (laughs) where it's just like ah that that movie i forgot about that very quickly i know i remember seeing that and being like this is all we get <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> well, and and there's almost like an element of d- 
dislike for the genre that it's operating in. Yeah. Um, there's another movie. Um, I think it's the five year engagements uh, where I, it's, it's a romantic comedy that essentially is, you know, it, it's, it's got a formula structure, um, which is not a crit critique. That's, that's par for the course, but the entire time they watch a movie of like this quote unquote stereotypical romantic comedy. Uh, oh no, it was uh, Friends of Benefits with Mila Kunis. And oh, <laughs> they're hey, and they're watching this step movie. On some toes there, man. <laughs> I know. I, in oh, that I, movie. right. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not dissing on the movie as a whole, but just this <laughs> idea of sort of teasing, like almost deriding the genre that you're in while taking part in it. It's just like. There's, it's almost like there's a there's an element of shame that goes along with yeah, and a big part that of genre. That it's a genre that's that's targeted for women, and there's there's mm -hmm. this that that studios won't take it seriously, and that cinephiles won't take it seriously because that is the target audience, and and there's something I don't know, I don't know what it could be, but oh no, I, <laughs> who knows? It's just a mystery, one of those mysteries, I guess. <laughs> yeah, the world. I, I mean, it goes know. back though. It goes back though, if like in old film trade journals, how often the term women's picture is brought up oh, in a God. in a negative context is pretty gross. Right? It's pretty gross. I mean, and Lindsay, Lindsay mentioned on the, on our last episode about you know not wanting studios not wanting to uh, make a movie that had two female leads in it. You know, it's been a it's been a problem for a while, and that's I think like getting these. I think that's another you know benefit to focusing on cult cinema is that. You know, these are movies that are made almost without mind for marketability, like, <laughs> and which means that they can do whatever. They have a, you know, a, a green light, and they don't have a, you know, ex some executive producer saying, "Well, I don't think I'm going to get my return on this." <laughs> one of uh, one of our volunteers programmed um, the Night of the Comet, for which was our opening film for the last series, and it's a movie that I had never seen before. But it's like a it's like a a female led two female led zombie apocalypse movie that I had never seen before, and and oh, wow. and I had never even heard of. But I was like, this was this is dope. I love this. Why is there not more of this? <laughs> And it sounds like a straight up like Ed Wood movie title. That sounds incredible. It was dope. It had a good soundtrack too. It was I feel like I've good. heard of that movie before, but now I really want to see it. Let's uh, add it to the list, Mike. <laughs> well, I realized I've been staring at the poster for it um, <laughs> on the Third Eye website. I just didn't. I didn't know that that was. Uh, I was. I was so uh, drawn in by the actual artwork. I, I didn't actually read the title. All right, yeah. so so Michaela, were you ever a programmer on the Third Eye uh, Cinema Series? Like, did you ever you yeah, put forward a film? I've only done it. Uh, I've only done it once since Harold and Maude. Um, basically, because after that, um, after the second series started, I had been bumped up to to the director, and there were so we had hired so many new people at that point, and there were. And it's, it's a good problem to have because there were also volunteers who were excited to be involved. And we can only show like X number of movies per series because we have a budget. So I sort of stepped aside to let to let the, the new projectionists and the new volunteers have a go at it. Um, so I haven't programmed anything since or anything for Third Eye since 2000 and February 2019. So last year. Ah, is that, Do you just like are you just 
like going crazy. I mean, I know you said that you wanted to, but I mean, come on, this is like every cinephile's dream is to like show people movies that they uh, love. <laughs> yeah, I mean, someday I'm still I'm I'm still kind of a, a baby in all of this um, in all of this exhibition stuff. So I would love to have my own film series um, someday when when I'm more established and when I know more about film because. Also, this Third Eye series has sort of taught me that I don't know as much as I thought I did about cult films. The, the, the world of cult films is so vast and everyone is bringing in like their own personal tastes. And, and I've just been happy and lucky to like eat it all up. I mean, look, look, the premise of our show is that we're not, <laughs> we're not experts in cult cinema. Like, <laughs> you know, I think there's a lot of and, and if you're an expert in cult cinema and you have and you're a content creator in that regard, that's awesome. More power to you. I love coming at it from the perspective of tell us about these movies <laughs> because we don't know. <laughs> and actually, on kind of on that note, Michaela, what has been the favorite your favorite discovery that you've made as a part Ooh. of this whole thing? Um, oh, gosh. Uh, I think one of my favorite discoveries has been Drunken Master. Um, our administrative coordinator, uh, Darcy, programmed Drunken Master, which is like a, a Jackie Chan kung fu movie. And I have been so ignorant of, of Jackie Chan's like whole career, um, aside from like seeing him in like, you know, the rush hours, or, like around 80 days or whatever. But like, like he had this this massive career as I'm sure most people know and and drunken master seeing that again with an audience and and this this really silly sort of 80s kung fu movie that was like so expertly choreographed that that was a pretty cool experience yeah the cor Jackie Chan's choreography I don't know if it ever will be replicated again uh I mean I know there's been there's been some other, uh, there's been some other movies, particularly out of you know uh, East Asia. I want to say like Ong Bak and uh, the Raid that do do a lot of like similar choreography and have a have a good um, attention to it. But it's just it's not what, what Jackie Chan discovered is that it's not um, f financially it's not considered financially viable in in uh, American cinema because like some of the stunts they he would have to do like you know, 20, 30 times or more. And it's like, they don't have modern films. They don't want to give out the budget to record that long, record that many takes to try to get this one stunt right. Uh, I think I, I saw, I don't remember what movie it was. I saw a clip of him like trying to kick the end of a broom, like the, a broom handle. So it would pop up and he missed like 20 times <laughs> uh, just yeah. trying to, just trying to get it right. But you know, we don't have the, the patience for that here. Um, I guess. Yeah. So well, another thing too is they don't they don't hide it with cuts. It's all yeah. very fluid, mm -hmm. and which is also not a very cost effective way to make a movie. But uh, damn, it looks cool. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, that's that's good. And I I haven't I haven't seen Drunken Master, um, but uh, that's been on my personal list to see. So yeah, it's a fun one. There's also I think uh, we I'm probably going to try and push some Bruce Lee for the show as well because Please. uh criterion criterion just announced they're oh. they're remastering all of uh all of uh like sort of his biggest movies like so um what have you guys been watching during your quarantines have you fallen into any specific sort of film quarantine holes or are you having trouble watching movies or all how's right. that been i'm embarrassed so we'll ask the questions here no okay. <laughs> i'm kidding oh no no i <laughs> no um uh, my wife and i we started watching 
like new movies that came out to like VOD immediately. Those ones that you know their theatrical release had to be canceled or delayed, or so they had a motor rental. And then we started watching some movies that we hadn't seen but want to, like catching up on some old, uh, not old, but you know maybe like a year or two. And then we kind of recently have like thrown standards out the window. <laughs> um, so we we binged um, all six Bring It On movies, which there are Whoa. six. Yes. Oh um, my god! Yeah, wait, there's six. There's six. So there's there's Bring It On. There's Bring It On. I again. thought there were two. No, there's Bring It On. Bring It On. Again. Well, I want to hear. I want to hear all the titles. Then there's uh, Bring It On. Um, all or Nothing. Bring It On. In It to Win It. Bring It On. Fight <laughs> to the Finish. And then Bring It On. Worldwide. Hashtag Cheer Smack. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Which one's the best? Well, okay, the first. Yeah, one. first one's the best, and then it probably goes. I mean, I have a toss-up between two and three. Uh, two feels very incomplete to me, <laughs> um, because it's like they. I don't. Know, their their thing is they they win the right to go to the, like the world championship cheer competition, and then they don't go there. That's the movie. The movie ends there where they win the right to go because they're. Or is that the conclusion? The, of the conclusion story? of the story is they is they uh, beat the other the rival cheer squad for the opportunity to represent their school at Worlds, and mm-hmm. I'm like, but you didn't go to oh nationals. They, well, I'm like, but you didn't go to nationals. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see what happens, well, but I think it, so. Overall, I think two is a better movie than three, but I, I do like three a little bit better. And in certain aspects, well, James so. is everywhere. One is she in that? What was that? Oh, Hayden Panettiere. Yes, in in bringing on all or nothing. um well and james everyone knows that uh the movie rocky ends when as soon as rocky gets picked to fight apollo creed (laughs) and that's that's when the movie's over so i mean that's pretty standard for (laughs) yeah so i mean and then uh worldwide cheer smack has hands down i I will fight anyone who disagrees the, the the hottest cheer guy um because all these all these movies they have like this like cheer romance and i feel like it does that like kind of cliche romantic comedy thing where the where the where the woman is uh, you know traditionally attractive and then it's some schlubby guy and i'm like now it's finally not a schlubby guy <laughs> so um yeah that was fun and then we recently have decided uh to to binge all the lifetime at 17 movies i don't know if you're familiar with these they're terrible um so there's like they started with a movie called Dead at 17, and these movies are just and then it goes Accused at 17, Betrayed at 17. Oh, you're doing you. It, it Mike. Oh, that's Mike, why. Mike, it ends with a movie called Zombie at 17, and I cannot wait to get there. Yeah, James. <laughs> James, I know it does. <laughs> How are you watching those Lifetime movies? Uh, are they just available they right now we have them available to watch through our xfinity box um a lot of them so there i i am really don't want to spend money on these because they're not good (laughs) um (laughs) but they're kind of like funny and you know they're fun to enjoy in certain aspects and fun to like dissect like there's always one there's a there's no so far we've watched three of them there's no dads the like the protagonist always has just a mom and the mom usually does all of what would normally be considered police work. So, I mean, it's really, I think, playing to its target demographic of just like, you know, you're, you're a mom, you're worried about your 17-year-old, and if anything happened to him, you would find the truth. <laughs> um, and they're kind of like... Mm-hmm. Have you seen that SNL sketch that's like, what's wrong with Tanya? No, I haven't. <laughs> what's wrong with Tanya? And then the three moms are like, Tanya, Tanya, Tanya! <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> 
Yeah. So, um, yeah. And there's always like this person who's like really awful. And then there's a person who is awful, um, but isn't, is like, you know, they feel bad about it. So the movie like wants you to forgive them or something. <laughs> it's, it's funny. It's like everyone so far. It's funny to like dissect a formula in these and just enjoy them. I don't know why. Um, so yeah, we're, we're, as I said, we're kind of throwing standards out the window now. It's quarantine's a long time. <laughs> That's impressive, though. I'm I, like, at least you're going down like a, a path, <laughs> some sort of rabbit hole. Yeah. <laughs> How about you, Michaela? What are you What are you binging? Um, well, I started off um, like you did, looking for what was new. Um, I think I watched Emma and the Invisible Man yes. and Vivarium. And, and then, and then it sort of just all went to hell. Uh, I think my attention span also did. So I like, my brain went to mush. I tried starting off with like old screwball comedies. So I watched like the shop around the corner and I watched uh, what's up doc. Um, and then, and then I did like a Pixar thing. Cause I was like, Oh, maybe I want comforting stuff. Maybe I'll watch all this, all these Pixar movies. Like up. Um, yeah. You know, like, <laughs> Ratatouille and that feel good. Um, I love Ratatouille. Yeah. Uh, God. Yeah. And it's just kind of it's it's hard to watch. I, I'll either need to watch like with a friend. Um, so I've been going through and watching like you know movies my old movies my friends haven't seen. Like we just watched Network um, the other night, which held wow. way up. It's incredible. Yeah. It's, it's one of the best screenplays of all time. Yeah, I haven't seen it. Um, uh, like resonant because there's a scene where everyone goes to their windows and screams and shouts and I was like that's us <laughs> um, yeah. but yeah it's just kind of been a mess of like weird like like Woody my boyfriend was is really into terrible movies like <laughs> movies and like bad Christian movies and stuff like that oh so no I'm, tell me you're not watching like you what? Saving, movies. saving uh, Christmas yeah, shit like that. Um, <laughs> in the other room, and I'll be in here trying to watch like a Criterion Collection classic or something. So it's just, it's all scary. <laughs> I'm gonna try to get through the uh, the Criterion uh, Godzilla movies that Mike actually got me for uh, Christmas. Uh, that was awesome, and I've watched a few of them already. But I'm like, maybe I've really sit down with just like all of these. They're great. Well, you know what's amazing? Even with all those movies, that's still only the first series of oh, Godzilla yeah, films. They've done three different, iter- like three different complete series of Godzilla films over the years. Yeah, so. there's so many. <laughs> um, yeah, and th- this one's fun because you could see Godzilla as both like a good guy and a bad guy. So yeah, I don't know. Um, Mike, what about you? Uh, so I finally, I don't know why I waited so long. Uh, I like finally just bit the bullet and got the criterion channel and uh oh, right, i've been having right. a lot of fun with that um i think my favorite thing i've discovered is um silent hitchcock films Ooh. like his silent like his silent stuff um because it's still like very noticeably him his style is kind of crude like it's it's you can see how he would take ideas and develop them later but i actually really like watching him like like sort of his sensibilities but without any recognizable actors or stars also like i mean even his sound british films they just have a different feel than his american movies they're all like they're like like less glamorous but almost more like psychological and and those have been really fun my favorite's been the lodger 
which is basically uh, a man comes to stay at a boarding house and they think he might be Jack the Ripper. <laughs> what? That's so cool. It, it's it's phenomenal. Yeah, I, I have a big blind spot when it comes to a lot of a lot of like old classic movies. That's why that's why I, I think Mike like bolsters gives me that credibility. <laughs> um, well, I, oh yeah. When this quarantine first started, uh, Guy Madden had released The Green Fog, which is a remake of um, Vertigo made entirely with like recycled movie clips. So we watched Vertigo and then immediately after we watched The Green Fog and The Green Fog is free on Vimeo right now. So if you are feeling like a Hitchcock double feature-esque, um, I would highly recommend it. Uh Guy Madden's one of my favorite working directors, and I have never heard of this before. So, <laughs> hey! thank you. Yeah. I've only—I guess I—I I mean, I guess I should say I've only seen like my Winnipeg and um, uh, the beat my heart skipped, but they're both incredible. So I'm, mm -hmm. I'm so excited about this. Thing. Thank <laughs> you. Right. Yeah. Um, so I think that's ab about all we had. And uh, did you have any other prepared questions, Mike? <laughs> I don't think I used a single one of my prepared questions. <laughs> I didn't either. That's um, fine. I've I didn't either, but I've enjoyed I've enjoyed the the loose format anyway. So yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, with maybe a little bit of Frozen Two in the background. Yeah, I really hope we don't get uh, copyright straight. <laughs> we're not on YouTube, so we should be okay. <laughs> yeah, we're fine. Nobody. The unknown and we'll be fine yeah uh oh god i said it before i said it before we technically started the episode so just, i think just don't okay. just don't sing it but, you know just don't I sing will. the song i'll try it well, <laughs> sometimes it you just have a song in your heart james <laughs> yeah, oh so, man uh, but no this has been a lot of fun yeah it has thank you so much for joining us michaela um tell us where we can find the pickford if you want to thumb for anything else too here's your time Sure. Um, you can find the Pickford um, in most you know, general places like Facebook and Instagram, but you can also find us on Letterboxd if you have any Letterboxd followers um, at Pickford Film. Um, yeah, you can find me if you're interested at Michaela Tian Lee. I'm also on another podcast called Just Friends where me and my friends are trying to read through Infinite Jest. And tomorrow is our last episode, so we're got finally going to finish this godforsaken book. Um, <laughs> Yeah, those are those are where you can find us. Cool, cool. Well, you can find uh, the Cult Standard. Uh, that's our podcast here, uh, cultstandardpod.com. That's our main site where we host everything. But you can also find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts: Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We should be there. If there's a blind spot, let me know, and we can <laughs> we can get this on the platform of choice. So uh, you can also email us if you have any feedback or anything like that. Cultstandardpod at gmail.com. That's us. Let us know. And on all these places, leave us a review. You know, tell us we're great. Tell us we're awful. Tell us where you want to see us improve. We welcome all takers. Um, and you find me specifically at Jam Cozy on Twitter. That's pretty much my only uh, public social media. I do have a letterbox, but you know you'll. You know, I'll, I'll follow the Pickford and that'll be fun. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm also on Twitter at Michael Lydon 892. Yeah, we've been, I've been, I've been pretty angry recently. So, you know, if you don't want to see the negativity, then. That's <laughs> uh, our, if you're, that's our secret, James, we're always angry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This has been a great episode. Thank you again, Michaela, for joining us. And 
Yeah. And then I think we still don't have one. I've pitched the join us sign off, which is kind of weird because it's not, you know, a sign off. It's not saying bye, but, you know, like it's the opposite. <laughs> join us. Yeah, truly amazing.